Get in on the action and make your bet with Sports Interaction. The F1 schedule is heating up. Will you go with the O, Reliable, and Max Verstappen? Or take your chance with a potential surprise. Download the app in Ontario. Use the QR code you see at the bottom of your screen somewhere. Or head to sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn to get started. 19 plus, please play responsibly. Indy 500 post-qualifying reaction pod, and we've got some big news out of F1. This is Nailing the Apex. I'm Tim Haraney. Please head on over to Spotify. Give us a five-star rating and a follow. Same goes for Apple Podcasts. Write a review. Let us know how we're doing. If you want more from me, you can get me on social media, at Tim Haraney. Let's start with Formula One. Is Lewis Hamilton leaving Mercedes for Ferrari? Well, the Daily Mail published late Sunday evening, the Ferrari is set to offer Lewis Hamilton, the seven-time Formula One world champion, around 50 million USD to join the Scuderia for the 2024 season. Hamilton is in a contract year, and talks have been going slowly with Mercedes, but... You know, I've been in, in a couple of these uh, media sessions and Total Wolf has assured us on many occasions that he wants Lewis Hamilton back at the team for next year. And then Lewis has also been very vocal about coming back to Mercedes and possibly finishing his career there. So I think for Mercedes, I mean, it's, it's important for them that you know Lewis wins his eighth driver's title while racing for them. There's so many things that goes into this. I mean, obviously, having that driver uh, is huge. The marketing opportunities that come with it as well. Uh, and now this report comes out of nowhere and suggests that Ferrari president John Elkin is in close contact uh, with, with Lewis Hamilton um, even though, I mean, even though we're in a cost cap era, you know, you may be wondering, you know, how does this or how would it affect Ferrari's bottom line when it comes to the cost cap? You know, this signing wouldn't, wouldn't impact them on that front. This signing is, would be on a different set of books and it would have, very little impact on their cost cap. The only thing that really affects the cost cap is what you do with the race car, how you build it, your wind tunnel, your CFD, the things you put into it. So things like marketing, drivers, uh, certain team personnel, um, all of those things are off of the cost cap. So they do not count towards it. So Ferrari could literally back the Brinks truck up to Lewis and unload a bunch of cash to him and say, come on over. Here's the thing. I think if you're your Ferrari, we'll start. With, let's just start with Ferrari. I, I think if you're Ferrari, you you can't just hope that you know signing a driver as great as Lewis Hamilton, seven-time Formula One world champion, fixes your problems. In fact, it it may create more problems for you. I mean, Ferrari has other issues. I think that they need to solve and fix, like. Fixing their car, you know, getting the right people in place 
for the jobs that are available at the team. They've had a lot of turnover at Ferrari since Frederick Vasseur has taken over the position of team principal. And he too himself has a mountain to climb to get this car competitive again. And we've spoken about it many times on this podcast about the work that has to go on behind the scenes at Ferrari to get this team back to its championship winning ways. And I think shaking up your driver core, well, it's not gonna it's not gonna do much. It's not gonna do much good if the things happening behind the scenes are as rocky as they are, I doubt a driver change is really high on Frederick Vasseur's list. He's got a mountain of other things that he needs to look at and accomplish. So, the drivers for Ferrari, I mean, who would leave, right? So you got Carlos Sainz. We'll start there. He's been performing pretty good since he's been there. I honestly think Carlos has turned a lot of people's opinion about him and his driving around. I I think that he's gained a ton of respect. It's one of the things I've always said about Carlos Sainz. He's extremely talented. And once he starts to figure things out, he's very, very fast. He's under contract for next season. Why would you pay to get him out of the car? He's done a great job. He's done a really good job this season. Why would you just unload a driver like that? I mean, it doesn't... It doesn't make sense to me. He's been with the team now for what, what, three three seasons, and that doesn't make sense to me because you're then going to bring in, yes, I mean, a very highly qualified racing driver, a legend in the sport, to bring them in. But it's going to take Lewis time to get up to speed, right? I mean, you don't just plug drivers into a team and then all of a sudden be like, yeah, yeah, go fast, go fast. That's not how it works. I mean... The drivers take time. It take time to get comfortable. They take take time to learn their surroundings, learn the people they're working with, learn the car, learn the steering wheel and what all it does, learn the different systems that Formula One teams have because they all have different systems and different structures. So I don't necessarily think that's a good idea or good option of just getting rid of Carlos Sainz. And I don't think it's a good idea for Charles Leclerc to go either. He doesn't come off the books until... The end of 2024. I mean, how do you have, you know, these two... How would you have Lewis Hamilton and Charles Leclerc at the same team? You have two alpha dogs at the same team. It doesn't make any sense. Why would you want to do that? They, they've they already made it known that they want to build a team around Charles Leclerc. I mean, it, that's recent. That just came out, like, last month. And I think with Charles Leclerc, I mean... Ferrari already has their driver who they can build a race team around. No offense to Carlos Sainz because I think he's incredible and I also think he could be a world champion one day. My thoughts on all of this. I mean, if you're if I'm Lewis Hamilton and I'm comfortable at the team that I'm at and I'm going to get good money. I, I I don't think I would just leave to go to a team just because they are like a legendary team. Like, obviously, Ferrari is. I wonder. These are just my personal opinion. I, I wonder if this is, this is something maybe from Hamilton's camp. Maybe 
to get him a bit more money from Mercedes. Could be that. Uh, who knows? Ferrari is a team that the Hamiltons have, you know, dreamed of, of racing for since jumping into Formula One. But I think at the end of the day, it boils down to, to this. For Hamilton, he needs to be in a championship-winning car and team. He's 38. He's not getting any younger. And he needs, I think, a stable team that will give him the equipment to go out and do what he needs to do. At this moment, I think you would have to say that that's Mercedes. And no offense to Ferrari, because, I mean, obviously they're a great team as well. I just feel for Ferrari at this point, they're a few years away from being that championship-winning team now that Mattia Bonotto has gone and they've brought Fred in and they've had to restructure a bunch of things. It's a lot of work to just turn a Formula One team around like this. It's not it's not something that's done in a couple months. It's something that's done in years. For Mercedes, you know, essentially they have their technical infrastructure already aligned and ready to go they've just taken a wrong turn on the highway and now they need to just circle back and get on to a different on-ramp that's essentially for mercedes's issues i think for mercedes they're going to be able to fix their problems faster and i think they're going to be able to get back up to those championship winning ways that we've seen from them for the last many years Let's jump over to the Indy 500. Absolute scenes in qualifying on Sunday. If you didn't see it, actually Saturday, Sunday, but if you didn't see it, oh my God. Absolutely incredible. Storylines, amazing. The driving out of this world, the things that these drivers are doing at the Brickyard this year is absolutely blowing my mind. And IndyCar, the racing, the qual just all of it is just so good right now. It's so good. I mean, you have to check it out. Trust me. Um, let's talk about uh, Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan racing. Because for me, that was the biggest story out of all of the Indy 500 qualifying over the weekend. Um and you know we'll i'll try and break down qualifying as best as i can here so on on saturday it's a two-day event saturday and sunday saturday all 34 cars competed in qualifying and essentially from saturday you get uh 13th to 30th position and those are the drivers that are uh, basically locked into the 500. Okay, they're they've got a spot and they're good to go. And then you've got your top 12 drivers. They're locked in for Sunday's top 12 shootout and the fast six. So top 12 shootout. They take the fastest six drivers from the top 12 shootout, and they advance to what's called the fast six. Six drivers battling for 
pole positioned for the Indy 500. Now, at the back, you've got only a few spots available, and there's 33 spots in total. You've essentially got 30th to 33rd spots, and there are only four drivers who were competing. So there was going to be one driver who was not going to be able to get into the Indy 500. Three of those drivers race for Rahal Letterman Lanigan Racing, who I think all of us thought that coming into this season, that was going to be a team that was going to challenge the big three. They were going to be like into the big four, let's call it. But they were going to be very competitive. Very great driver lineup as well. So we'll start at the beginning of their story. I mean, they recently opened a new 100,000 square foot factory headquarters just a bit north of Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And... They began a very aggressive recruiting drive. I mean, in the offseason, they hired away from McLaren Formula One team, um, the director of vehicle performance, uh, Stefano Sordo, and appointed him the director of vehicle performance at the team. Now, prior to the McLaren F1 team, uh, Sordo worked for a number of years at Red Bull Racing as the head of aero performance. Then RLL pulled away from from Honda. Their performance development executive, Steve Erickson, named him uh, the team's uh, COO. Now I thought they were they were going to be in for big things, like I had mentioned. Spend a lot of money in the off season, and it's been a disaster. I mean, especially on the ovals. I mean, Texas. And, I mean, Texas was a struggle, um, and now here at, at IMS, that it was a struggle there as, as well. Their car's slowest of everyone's. I mean, what led to this <laughs> was, you know, three of their cars dropping into the dreaded bump day. Christian Lungard, Graham Rahal, Jack Harvey, Catherine Legg, um, you know, she was the only one on the team who was able to get herself out of that last chance qualifying and into the Indy 500. And most thought it would be, I think, Jack Harvey who was going to be the one on the outside looking in, coming into this thing. I thought, I thought actually it was going to be the rookie from Dale Coyne, Stingray Rob. I, I just simply thought that the experience of Lungard, the experience of Graham, and the experience of Jack was going to get those three cars into the Indy 500, and I didn't think Stingray was going to be able to um, push his way in. What happened on Sunday, absolutely incredible television, but also, I mean, a bit of a heartbreaking story at the same time. I mean, though, for those who don't know, I mean, IndyCar legend Bobby Rahal co-owns the team with David Letterman, uh, entrepreneur uh, Mike Lanigan. So Bobby Rahal's son is Graham Rahal, who came up through the ladder system. Actually, he was right behind me, uh, actually. Very skilled driver, very, very fast. And Jack Harvey is a driver who 
also fought his way into IndyCar, you know, doing part-time rides here and there, most notably with uh, Meyer Shank Racing, and he eventually worked his way into a full-time IndyCar ride uh, with Meyer Shank Racing. And then he was hired by Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing on a full-time, full-time deal uh, with them partnering one of his best friends. So Jack and Graham are, are very close friends, okay? And 2022, well, that was for that was Jack's first full season with RLL. It was a bit of a struggle. Um, I think it was a struggle for all three of their drivers at the time, with Lungard, I would say, being the most competitive of the three in 2022. And then 2023, it's it's been not so different and they've spent like i said off the top like a lot of money here and they've really been aggressive with their recruiting and i honestly thought this was really going to bring them a lot of success early but this may not be something that we actually see develop for this team until next year or the year after it may actually take a lot longer than a lot of us thought coming into this year's indy 500 i was expecting you know the rookies and those who don't race much in IndyCar to be in the back of the pack, not Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan. So Sunday, all three drivers in bump day. Timing's running out in qualifying. Jack Harvey is on the outside looking in. Lungard and Ray Hall, well, they're in. Ray Hall is just hanging on to that 33rd spot, final spot, on the grid, and I mean by just hanging on, his four-lap qualifying average speed, 229.1 miles an hour. He was also suffering with a malfunctioning weight jacker issue as well, which essentially makes his four-lap quali run a very scary and a very wild ride. He's just hanging on to the race car, during those laps, and I'll explain the weight jacker a little bit later in the podcast and how it works, but it's a very handy tool that the drivers use. So Harvey goes out and takes a few stabs at trying to bump his way into the last and final spot that's occupied by his friend Graham Ray Hall. But every attempt Harvey like, takes at this thing. It's just not enough. The car is painfully slow. He was just uh, one mile an hour uh, on a four-lap average slower than Stingray Rob, who occupied the 32nd spot. Now, just minutes left in qualifying. Harvey takes, you know, what we all thought at the time, one last stab at qualifying, Hangs the thing out there on a knife's edge. Four lap average shows 228.9 miles per hour. Not fast enough. Remember, what was Graham Rahal's four lap average speed? It was 229.1 miles an hour. So for Jack, just, just missing out. So, Harvey... Literally seconds left on the clock in qualifying. Quickly pits. 
He slaps on a set of tires. It's the last Hail Mary attempt for him. He goes back out. And at this point, I'm like, well, you know, Graham won't have another chance at qualifying. So whatever Jack does here, Graham's not going to be able to answer back. So he's stuck. So that is it. So he's literally in his car watching on an iPad what's going on here. Okay, where's where's Jack? What's Jack doing? So Harvey race against the clock, gets back out in the dying seconds, puts the car on the limit. It's basically roll this thing into a ball or qualify for the Indy 500. Graham's dad and team owner, Bobby Rahal, also there watching on in the pit stands as to what Jack may do. He knows that Graham won't have another chance to answer back either. So Jack's... Lap one comes across the line, 229.4 miles an hour. That will do it, but there will also be tire degradation. And remember, it's a four-lap average. Okay, so he's got four laps. He's got to get this thing done. It's got to be whatever that average is at the end of those four laps. That's what it's going to be. So... Tire degradation for qualifying for the Indy 500. Tire degradation is is huge because the tire drops off quite quickly. So your lap one is pretty solid. Car feels car feels good, and the speed's going to be there. It gives you a lot of confidence. But that speed and the handling and the balance of the race car it starts to deteriorate and drop off as the tire begins to deg. So lap two, Jack comes across the line. 229.0 miles an hour. He lost, let me see if I get this right, lost four-tenths of a mile an hour to the previous lap. Here we go. Lap three, car definitely not happy. Tires are screaming at you. They're saying, F you, we want to get this thing over with. 229.17 miles an hour. Jack goes tiny bit faster than lap two, which is a little unheard of for this round of IndyCar qualifying because as we've seen over Saturday and Sunday, very hard to keep the third lap faster than the second lap. Usually it just starts to get slower and slower and slower as you start to get along. But Jack able to just make it go a tiny bit faster. Lap four. All right. Tires toast. Have to be. As a driver, you're hanging on to this thing for dear life. Literally. Harvey crosses the line. 228.971 miles an hour. Four lap average. Jack's four lap average is 229.166 miles per hour. Now, we look quickly at what Graham has done. His best friend, what did he do? 229.159 miles per hour. Harvey bumps Ray Hall out of the Indy 500 by seven one-thousandths of a mile an hour. You can't make this stuff up, people. You just can't. It's unbelievable. Ray Hall breaks down in tears. No big celebrations from Jack either because he just knocked his friend out of the Indy 500. It's only the second time in the sport's history 
Little Ray Hall has not participated in the Indy 500 while as an active driver. His dad, Bobby, bumped from the Indy 500, believe it was 30 years to the day. I think it was 1993's Indy 500. You know, Graham's dad, Bobby, got bumped out of that race. Graham, however, I mean, he handled this thing like a champion. Yeah, I think he ha- he handled it as best as any athlete could. He thanked his team uh, for all of their hard work, a- acknowledged some of the flaws, acknowledged that they were not fast this year at all. He couldn't come to finish the post-race interview. He broke down in tears. His wife and kids there to console him. Jack made sure to find his friend. The two hugged it out. I mean, neither driver will ever forget this day. Ever. That is this is going to be something that will live for them for live with them for forever. Uh, just uh, unbelievable. I was I didn't know how to feel when I when I watched it. I mean, I was absolutely shocked. Like shocked to see that Graham Rahal wasn't going to be the Indy 500. I was shocked to see that it was Jack Harvey who had bumped him out. Unbelievable. I just, I I felt so bad for both drivers to be put in that situation. That's racing. I get it. I mean, look, that that's racing. But man, oh man, what a, what an hour of television. I mean, and give it up for the NBC people. I mean, they did a great job. Ah, incredible, incredible broadcast. It was, it was great. It was, it was absolutely great. So, what exactly is is going on with the RLL cars? That's that's my question. Um, you know, Graham has said that there is an inherent speed issue uh, with the cars, but at this moment, I mean, doesn't seem like anybody really knows what's what's happening down there with those cars. Um. I've always hoped for good things with that team because I I really want to see them do well. They put a lot of work into this. Graham has committed a ton of his time and dedication and work um, and, and putting a ton of that into this team. And I think it's it's got to be busy for him. It, I, I, I think he's almost like running part of this team. Plus, he's got to be focused on a racing driver. Plus, he's probably got to be focused on the marketing side of things at the same time, making sure everyone's doing their thing. And he's got to train as well and then he's got the media obligations and uh, i mean this can't be easy for graham i mean he's he, i think he's got a lot on his plate but at the same time i mean he he drove a hell of a stint four lap average with a broken um weight jacker or, or fast jacker whatever you want to call them so let, let's talk about that let's talk about what um weight jackers are uh, and how important they are. So on the steering wheel, um, if you were watching the 500 qualifying coverage, you could see the drivers were playing around on the steering wheel when they got the straightaways. Uh, they were pressing a button while coming out of uh, turn two, heading down into turn three, and then they hit a button again, and then they would be coming out of turn four, they'd hit a button again, and then going into turn one, they'd hit a button again. So what they're doing is they're adjusting the weight jacker, the fast jacker, um, and, and essentially is you're going to hit that, the driver's going to hit that button, and the right rear shock is a 
I don't want to mess this up. It's like a hydraulic uh, component that uh, lengthens and shortens the shock. So the button, the drivers are pressing, you know, coming uh, coming in and out of those turns is to engage the hydraulic device to uh, lengthen or shorten the shock. So the shock that's at the at the rear, right rear of the car. So the weight jacker essentially is how do I explain this? It uses a, a cross weight, so the hydraulic system and shock to uh, lengthen the right rear uh, shock is to add you know weight across the car to the front left. So I guess it would be uh, diagonal. So you're adding weight from right right rear to left left front okay now the hydraulic pressure so that's built up and then when the driver is ready to use the system so hit the button it quickly forces pressure through the system to extend the shock now hopefully i got all this right i'm pretty sure i do so i mean why would a driver uh do this i mean essentially it's a tool that helps the drivers with turn the turn in phase uh, uh, of the corner um, to help give the the front left tire a bit more bite um, and helps so the driver uh, is not having to turn the wheel too too much uh, so you know if you're getting uh, understeer you don't want that because you're scrubbing speed at that point when you're uh, when you're getting understeer and again if there's too much you know, front end, the driver will have to go the opposite way on the weight jacker, so shorten the shock up a bit and remove, you know, some of that compressed weight on the front left tire. Now you may be asking then why are drivers pressing the weight jacker button on corner exit? So as soon as you see a driver coming out of corner two, hitting the button again. So as the driver's coming out of corner two at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, you know, they will want to hit that weight jacker button immediately. Okay, that lets out the pressure that the hydraulic pump has forced in. And essentially, it, it loosens things up a bit. Okay, so uh, the car would then squat down more on the, on the rear. So as you're coming out of turn two, you want to hit that button. It's going to squat down a bit more. You're going to have a long, long straightaway heading to turn Three and what this is doing is giving you a pretty big uh, aerodynamic advantage. So when the car squats down at the rear, the front tires are coming up uh, a bit, and essentially it's decreasing the amount of downforce that the car is running and freeing it up to go faster in a, a straight line. Now as they approach turn three, drivers. Uh, hit the button and that weight jacker button and that will fire the the pressure up again and through the shock system engages the downforce again so you get that cross weight happening where the right rear right right rear and uh, left front puts the weight back to the front left tire and right rear it's a really uh, innovative uh, system that they've developed over quite a few these teams actually I should say these teams have developed over quite a few years and uh, I mean the bigger teams I think their systems may fire a bit quicker uh, 
only because they have the money and the resources and the time to invest in that type of equipment to make it as fast as possible so when a driver hits it they're not you know waiting a few seconds for it to engage it's happening you know immediately so the faster they can get that system working and reliable um you know the better off they're going to be they're going to gain that tiny little bit of an edge or an advantage and that's what we're talking about here right we're talking about really fine details when you get to a super speedway or an, an oval like um indianapolis motor speedway uh, the littlest of things are exaggerated at these tremendous speeds that these drivers are are going at um and usually this device is only is only used at big ovals like the motor speedway uh the brickyard congratulations to alex Pillow. i mean uh he uh he was magnificent i called it uh head on over to my twitter you can Check that out. I called Alex Polo for, for pole before he said it. Um, it's going to be a great race. I the Qualifying, if, if it's anything like qualifying weekend was, I think it's going to be an incredible event. It's going to be absolutely uh, bonkers. I, I can't wait. I know Monaco's this weekend as well, and we'll be doing some podcasts for that. And um, Hopefully going to try and get a couple of IndyCar drivers on this week to uh, build up some of that lead-in into the 500. Um yeah, it. Uh, I mean, just watching qualifying, seeing what these guys are doing now and in this year, it's it's unbelievable. I just can't believe it. I can't believe what they're what they're able to do now and how fast they're going. It's just it's incredible. Some of these guys just absolute passengers in these cars this year too. At some points, um, got some questions. Actually, we got one uh, from Mike Adams. How different with the cars? How different will how different will the cars be in race setup versus uh, qualifying? That's a good question. Um, yeah, I think you know one of the main things with qualifying, and we'll just talk about the cars there, uh, is like you want to try and make sure they're as trimmed out as possible. So the the more you trim the car out, the slipperier it's going to be, and uh, it's going to be a lot faster. Um, but what you can't really race that that's, that's a very difficult thing to do. You, I mean, the, the tires dig way too fast. They don't last very long. Um, the engine mapping. So the fuel mapping as well. I mean, full boost, the, the things are rocket ship for racing. You want to tune it down a bit. You want to make sure the car is going to be reliable. You want to make sure it's going to get to the end. You want to make sure there's proper amount of downforce on there. So the driver is comfortable, but the driver can also make passes happen. So it's a big setup change between the two of them. And then obviously it being um, aero driven, it's going to be a huge uh, aero setup in, in that regard. So hopefully that answers your question. Uh, uh, Mike, um, God, I just, I love the Indy 500. It's incredible. So yes, Formula One this week coming up. We'll have more stuff going on. Uh, if you want more from me, you can get me at Tim Haraney in all forms of social media. You've been listening to Nailing the Apex. Uh, please head on over to Spotify. Give us a five-star rating and a follow. Same goes with Apple Podcasts. Write a review. Helps us grow the pod a lot. And we'll talk to you all later in the week.